0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast podcast. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to do this again this week. I've had some really remarkable guests over the last several weeks, and today is no different. Um, I have Mike Hansen, who's joining us today. I've known Mike for probably, what's it been, three or four years now? It's been just over four years. Four years. So I've known Mike for a long time. He has an amazing story. Um, It's a... It's just beautiful to see people like Mike who have gone through so much and who have overcome, and that's why he's on this podcast today. Um, But thank you for your support, um, and I really do appreciate you guys sharing this with anyone and everyone that you know, especially those who might be struggling with just anything. But uh, Mike's story is going to inspire you, and I'm grateful to call Mike one of my friends, and so welcome to the show. Yeah
1: thanks for having me
0: (laughs) absolutely man i'm excited yeah um you've been one of my one of the one of my best supporters of this belief cast so i appreciate that as well and i know you've shared it with a lot of people and i'm just glad to finally have you on here and i think this is episode 17 yeah yes
1: i listen every monday um i wait (laughs) i deliver mail so i listen to podcasts all day and on mondays um, I wait. As soon as it's downloaded, I listen, and when it's not, I text you and say, where's it at? <laughs> I know. Yeah, where's yours? Yeah, I love that. So, so
0: thanks for your support. I appreciate that. Um, I am excited to, to have you share your story today. Um, you know, I know a lot about it, obviously, because I was here at Wasatch with you um, as one of your counselors while you came through here. Um, but uh, we're going to get into kind of some of the nitty-gritty, but before we do that, let's, uh, mm-hmm. you know... Give a little background about yourself, kind of where you grew up, a little bit about your family. Okay, so I grew up here. I was born in Salt
1: Lake. Uh, we had a house in Sandy. I went to Albion Middle School, uh, Silver Mesa Elementary, and was here in Sandy. Um, as LDS family, um, great parents, three older sisters. I'm um, okay. the baby. And, You're the baby. Okay. And the only boy. So, <laughs> Right on. So I got some. How was that growing up? It it was good. I got. I felt like I got taken care of a lot because I was the baby and yeah. and the only boy. So I mean, everybody was looking out for Mike and right. But it was good. It was a normal family. I my dad is a high ranking military officer when I was growing up. So oh really okay yeah he was you know doing the military stuff a lot. But a great dad always around um, my sisters and everybody they moved around before I was born. So okay. they lived in, in Arizona and Texas and a, a few other places. But by the time I was born, we had pretty much stayed here at Hill Air Force Base and here in Sandy. And oh, okay. So I was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a normal childhood um, until I was probably kindergarten-ish where my mom got sick. And mm. uh, she got breast cancer, was diagnosed with breast cancer. So most of my memories of my mom are her being sick. Um, really okay so that went on for her being sick for a while where we had the remissions and the things are better better you know and then when I was eight or nine I was eight, eight years old when it got really bad um, and then my mom passed away when I was nine years old that was 1988 so this year it was 30 years ago so what is that fifth
0: grade <clears throat> I was in third grade third grade Oh okay. Yeah. So. so still very young obviously. Yeah. How did th- how did that uh, affect you at, th- at that time as you know, being so young and losing your mom? I remember
1: my sisters were all in high school, so it was really a different experience for them. I remember um the night that she passed was actually prom night. So for my sisters they were going to Hillcrest. Okay. Um I remember dates showing up, you know, and that type of thing. I remember getting dressed up that day because my sisters wanted to go to the hospital and show my mom their, their prom dresses um, and take their dates to the to the hospital and show my mom. And then I remember everything screeching halt, we're not going. Um, so being that young and maybe blocking some of it out, you know, I don't remember a whole lot of, the, of that time, but I know it was hard and it turned into everybody needs to take care of Mike. Um, my grandma Norda uh, moved in to my house because obviously my dad had okay. military stuff going on. Uh-huh. So she moved in and and raised me from that point on with my dad and you know my sisters and everything. But
0: so how much older were your sisters? Sounds like they're a lot. We go going older threes. So oh, okay.
1: uh, if I was nine, my Amy was twelve, Tammy was fifteen, and Jenny was probably a senior in high school. Oh, okay,
0: so it was almost as if you know you kind of had. Have- the, the, your sisters kind of probably acted as what your mom would be doing, and then you. It was your grandma that moved in. Yeah,
1: my grandma moved in. So you had
0: almost like four moms all of a sudden that yeah. right, were really maybe let's concentrate on Mike, right? Right. right. Wow. So. Um, d- did did that affect your behavior in any way? That because it was so hard, or or did you just kind of numb it out? I don't. Well, not even numb it out. That's the wrong word. But just kind of shut it out of your mind as a kid and just move forward. I just moved forward and and stayed we stayed in sandy
1: but my sisters were all getting older now and going to college so okay they would all leave one by one you know until it was just me and my dad and my dad remarried when i was probably in fifth grade okay um so i had both parents again but my sisters were leaving and then it got to the point right before i started high school where my dad and and my stepmom made a decision that they were going to move to layton because it's closer to Hill Air Force Base, my sisters are out of high school now. We don't have right. to stay in Sandy to get them through high school. If we're going to move before Mike starts high school, it's going to be now. So we moved to Davis County, uh, and that's kind of where things for me kind of took a turn. Okay. Um, growing up, I was always you know passing the sacrament, doing that kind of stuff in church. Had great friends. They, you know, were all supportive. Great families in that neighborhood. But then all of a sudden, I was moving to. To Davis County, and I don't say that to pay, place blame on anybody. I mean, it is what it is, right. you know. And and I mm-hmm. I got there, but I found myself starting ninth grade in a new school. What high school was it? I went to Davis. Davis High. But I had one year at Kaysville Junior High, <laughs> which I love Kaysville. It's, I still yeah, it holds a special place in my heart, Kaysville. Sure. Does. But um, so I was in ninth grade, starting ninth grade, searching for you know new friends and.
0: Okay. Yeah. A I'm place sure that to was fit tough. in. So, well, let's go back just a little bit. How how was it having a, you know, a stepmom? Was that difficult? Was that hard? How did you, did you get along with her?
1: We got along. And I was young. Um, it was probably harder for my sisters, you know. And mm-hmm. I love my stepmom. I do. But there was challenges for sure, which I think mm-hmm. in any mixed family there sure. is those challenges. But there was you know a lot of like. I'm not his real mom. This is this house that we live in is his, you know, his real mom's house. We, you know, so that was part of the reason why we moved. And I mm-hmm. built resentments over that kind of stuff. You know, pictures of my mom in the house became issues oh, okay. of my real mom. You know, yeah. things like that. So okay, and when, and that was really hard for my sisters because they're young adults oh, at yeah. this point. You know, and so they, you know, I'm sure some resentments and things like yeah, like that were built that up. Tough. But, yeah. yeah, so they're it's challenging.
0: Okay. So, so you're starting a new school, you're trying to meet new friends. Obviously a difficult time. Let's talk about that for a minute and what that led to. Yeah, so
1: junior high is the most difficult time in anybody's life, I think. <laughs> I, I it's mean, like a in, mind in your film. young life and <laughs> your young life because, you know, everything's awkward, you're right. you're trying to meet new friends. I have a son now who's in junior high, he's 14, Blake. Yeah. Um, so I know what a challenging time that is. And so when I got to ninth grade, I was a new guy. Um, I was super tall, super skinny, you know, got <laughs> bullied a little bit and was just searching for um, a mm. group of kids to fit in with. And mm-hmm. in Kaysville, that group of friends was the Cowboys um, and the partiers and the and the guys that were um, sloughing school and smoking cigarettes and, and doing all that stuff. And, that, you know, they took me right in and. The cowboys, the huh? cowboys, they back then. This is in the mid 90s, so they wear their
0: Wrangler jeans and their boots, <laughs> they would, and a hat and a big truck out <laughs> yeah, the parking in the Yeah, in a big truck. Yeah. yeah, I remember those. I had those in high school too. Yeah, we had a group of cowboys, man. They just, yeah, I think that group's kind of faded away, in yeah. High school days now, <laughs> but. Yeah, for sure, it was... So that's, you kind of took on that role? Did you you become a cowboy?
1: I did. Did you really? Yeah, for my high (laughs) school time, I did, because I was just searching for anybody to accept me, so I thought, I can wear these Wranglers, I'll put these on in these boots. So is
0: that when you kind of started, you know, drinking and partying a little bit? Yeah,
1: so, I mean, it started out, like, with most stories I hear, where you're smoking cigarettes and and just drinking on the weekends, you know, Mm -hmm. but back then, you know, you would drink two Or three beers, and that yeah, would, you know, you'd right. throw up, so right. <laughs> that's where it all started for me. Um, and it was, I felt like it was okay. I, I, I did enough in school to skate by, I never got good grades. Um, but I graduated uh, a lot of manipulating my teachers and things like mm-hmm. that, doing them favors in order to get you signed <laughs> off or, right, or things sure. like that. But yeah. I got through high school, um, college was never really. Uh, even a plan for me at all. I went okay. straight to work. Um, I started doing drywall and, and working in the construction
0: field. I did that well into my twenties. Yeah, um, was that just kind of your own decision? I mean, did your dad ever push on you like, "Hey, you probably should go to college, son," or was he more like, "Hey, work, just work hard and do that kind of thing"?
1: The college came up a few times, but I mean, with the grades that I had, and I mean, I knew that I wasn't gonna go on to that world, you know. Okay. So I just went straight to work and and I was making better money than most any of the friends I had, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was even working all mostly for high school too. I was doing, you know, construction stuff through high school and always had plenty of money and you know, that kind of stuff. So
0: were you a responsible kid? I mean did you did you you know I was responsible.
1: I was responsible when it came to work class was a different thing i probably missed more school than i was there Um, but that was more because i wanted to go have fun you know uh but when it came to work i was a hard i've always been a hard worker yeah you know i've noticed that
0: so right on so so when did uh your you know you, you obviously drank a little bit in high school smoking cigarettes that kind of thing let's talk about you know when that started to progress for you and what what led up to that it was right after high school pretty much i I always had a lot, a, a bunch
1: of different groups of friends, whether it was the cowboys or the or the, you know, the football players, and so I was hanging out with different groups of friends. And after I graduated high school, I, I started hanging out with an older crowd that these guys were in their mid twenties, and I was you know nineteen and twenty years old, uh-huh. and that's when you know we started drinking on a regular basis, you know, like every night we were drinking beer for sure every mm-hmm. night, and then I was kind of a guy, that. On special occasions, we would we would use drugs, you know, like New Year's or or parties or and those drugs. Were, I mean, not marijuana. I was smoking marijuana a lot all the time, but I'm talking like on on New Year's we would do cocaine or we would do mm-hmm. ecstasy or you know mushrooms or acid and that kind of stuff. Right. So and then it was right around the Olympics time. So right around two thousand two, this perfect storm of the oxycontin scene came on, and it was I was right in the middle of that when people didn't even know what Oxycontin was. I didn't know what it was. Um, But my friends started picking that up and using it. So I started using it with them. Um, This is in my early 20s. And then uh, we just, I didn't understand what addiction, I mean, we all hear stories growing up and people tell us that you'll get hooked, you get, you know. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really understand what dependency was. Right. You know, so I knew that there was always danger of being addicted to things, but I didn't understand what dependency was until I started using pain pills, hmm. and then realized when you don't have them what that does to you. Yeah. So then I all of a sudden understood. Oh no! I'm. This is what dependency is, and this is what addiction really is. Is where you're a slave to this drug, pretty much.
0: Was that a scary moment for you when you kind of realized, holy? It really what was, is. and
1: I I was. There was times there where I would have little breaks where I wasn't using it. And I was always in the back of my mind where I was like, I can't start again because of that. And I was so scared of the mm-hmm. dependency part of it yeah. that I didn't mm-hmm. want to go back. But I always mm-hmm. fell back into it. And, you know, that scene was so huge back then in the early 2000s. that
0: Yeah, that kind of um, everyone, you know, at least the people who were partying, the people you knew were yeah. all doing it. So yeah. And it, it was, kind was kind of super expensive. Suit
1: yeah you know and so my friends that were my using friends pretty much they all started to graduate to to heroin and that's kind of where I drew the line um personally I was like I don't want to ever shoot up um so right there this now we're talking this is this is later in the 2000s but and in between all this why I'm using it I'm. I got married. I had a. I had a child. You know, in between all this, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but that during all of that time of my life, when I was when I was having a baby and when I was married and and doing all that stuff, I was using pills. And I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think my ex-wife even knew that. And I. She might still not. You know. So she
0: might. She might <laughs> now. She might now. Yeah. So, so but, well, I was going to ask you if that was one of the reasons why you're not married is because of the pill use, but you're saying. She probably didn't even really realize it. Well, it, the reason though I'm not married now, probably a lot of it falls on me. I mean,
1: there was fault on both sides, but right. I didn't realize at the time. I blamed everything on her at the time when we were getting divorced. <laughs> but I didn't. Now looking back, in my when I'm being in recovery, I'm like, man, a lot of that may have been me. Yeah. You know. So. Sure. So how long th- were you married? I was married from 2004 to 2007. Okay. So when we got divorced Blake was like three years old. Okay. Um we split custody at first, um, for years. Uh but I have Blake full time now. Yeah. Um
0: yeah, you guys are like best buds. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's He's bust awesome. me all the
1: time. So Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So in the late two thousand eights when it, when or around then when everyone started switching over to heroin, I said no, uh I'm not gonna do that and I went and saw a doctor instead i i found a doctor looked him up online in, in bountiful and another new drug that was on the scene that no one knew anything about um was suboxone the doctor told me this is going to save your life mm-hmm. uh, we're going to put you on suboxone uh so i said okay i uh, watched all my friends uh go through hell pretty much with heroin i never ever used it um but I was on Suboxone, and that's really when my drinking went through the roof.
0: So you went from Oxy to Suboxone. Mm-hmm. So you never went to the heroin at all. I never went to heroin, wow. yeah, which okay. is amazing. Yeah, I,
1: I mean, I had people in my house that were shooting up all the time. I would, you know, mm-hmm. find their paraphernalia and blood splatters on the wall, and it was just something that I, you know, I said that I would never do, and I yeah. and I stuck to that and.
0: So you get on Suboxone and then that led to you starting to really drink. Right. You? Yeah. So okay.
1: that, that led to me not even drinking beer anymore. Pretty much. I, I went straight to, to vodka and mixing it with Red Bull every day. And, you know, which is expensive in itself and, right. and was just drinking all the time. Pretty much. I, I have, like I wouldn't go to work Drinking like if I said I've never drank when I was at work, I'd be lying. But um, I tr- I really tried to toe that line where mm-hmm. if you you know some mornings you wake up so hungover that I I would take a shot or something and go to work. But right. Um, so
0: typically when you get
1: home, that's typically when you start right drinking. on the way home. Like yeah, in the, as soon as I'm in the car, you know mm-hmm. leaving work, I was mixing a drink on the way home wow. and then i would drink all night until i passed out wake up the next morning hungover and, and do it again
0: so i would imagine at this time in your life you, you know you you're recently divorced you have a young kid um you're on suboxone and you're doing this drinking thing i would it sounds like i mean i'm assuming that you would have been very depressed i mean oh, if you're drinking to oblivion like that every night you probably oh, were really down Yeah, I was, I was for sure
1: depressed Mm -hmm. and for sure, um, anytime I had any type of issue or even when it came to a a work problem or a house problem or anything like that, I would just be like, I'll worry about this tomorrow. I'm going to get drunk. And that's what's changed so much in my life now is not doing that. You really are on top of your game when you're, (laughs) when you're facing your problems head on every day. It's so much better. Um, but that's what I would do. I was, I was depressed. I remember come, when I first came into Wasatch, um, Dr. Birch asked me, you know, about suicide. And that's, I'm sure that's a question on intake that they ask everybody. Um, and I told him, I'm like, I, I, I don't think I'm suicidal, but I'd be okay with dying. You know, like if mm-hmm. I, if I died, I'm, I'm ready for that. And that's it's okay. Yeah. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not going to take my life, but I'm
0: but you're suffering enough to I'm go, if I was enough. to die, right. I'm good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a tough place to be. Yeah, I remember when I first met you, when you got here to Wasatch, I mean, you were on a really high dose of Suboxone, if I remember right. Yeah, I was so, the first one to come through Wasatch that was on Suboxone.
1: I didn't know anything at the time. When I I can tell you a little bit about when I decided to, to make a move into recovery. Yeah, um, let's talk about it. I that. went on a family vacation, a uh, motorcycle event in Mesquite. Uh, my sister's husband owns Age Power Sports. Shout mm. out to them. Yo. Uh, <laughs> nice. Um, but I went on a family vacation with them, and this is one of the first times that, I mean, they all knew I drank. I wasn't hiding that I drank. They mm. all knew Mike drank, but I would never drink like, at, at family parties and things. I mean, I was drinking in the car or whatever right, right, or b- right. before I got there, but <laughs> but I would never like go to dinner with my family and order drinks at dinner and stuff like that. But this is the first time that I was in... Nevada in a casino and they got to see they firsthand what
0: how bad it was how bad it
1: was so yeah at this point in my life I was blacking out on a regular basis not remembering what happened the night mm-hmm. you know the night before and I guess um I got in a fight in the casino <laughs> and um did a bunch of stuff and
0: well, the reason why I laugh at that is you're like the <laughs> nicest guy on the planet. I, I just it's hard to see you fighting. Yeah, everybody, you know in I mean? my, everybody in my <laughs> life now only knows recovery, Mike. I was sure. I was a different. But obviously, when you're drinking, person. you're you know you do things you wouldn't normally do. Right, but for uh, sure. but yeah, you really are one of the nicest guys. So I was just kind of laughing, you said that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that next morning, I woke up and they said we have some issues. Um, my girlfriend Ashley, who you know, yeah, uh, said. We need to talk i was like i don't remember what happened um so i came home from that trip and uh left them and when i came home i kind of set up my own intervention um told them we all need to get together and talk
0: really you did
1: yeah um, wow. and I, at this that, point that's I, was, I was just doing damage control pretty much <laughs> right you know? okay i was just doing like how do i fix this yeah um i'll say a bunch of stuff, do a bunch of little stuff, and we'll be back to business as usual. Right. Um, But my sister, we called my sisters together, and my dad and and Ashley, and my one sister that lives in California jumped on a plane that day. I wasn't expecting that. She said, I'm coming now. Um, And we all got together, and I I told them what was going on with the drinking, which they already knew somewhat, but they had no idea about the drugs. Right. So it hit them you know, they were super surprised about it, didn't know any of that was going on. And once I did that, it put the ball in motion and mm-hmm. there was no stopping it. So Ashley um, and my and my family put together a plan for to go to detox I thought that's all it was gonna be mm-hmm. I thought I was gonna go to detox for seven days and come out <laughs> and, be and good to go and be good to go and just you know <laughs> try and do better and yeah you know I knew that I wanted to be free from Suboxone mm-hmm. um, because the life of not getting your prescription filled and being sick for days and insurance not covering things and it's, it's just no way to live so I knew I wanted to be free from that. I never expected to be a person that didn't drink. Um, I, I always said that I was going to be someone that drank. You know, I, I don't have a moral problem anymore with people that drink. I think that if it, if you are a person that can do it responsibly, it's, you know. Um, but for me, it's off the table.
0: For all you kids out there, I don't agree with that. <laughs> I'm just going to say that out loud. But, yeah, go ahead. Um... <laughs> <laughs> So,
1: uh, so I went to detox. I went to Salt Lake Behavioral Health, which was one of the bigger mistakes in my life. (laughs) Um, but that's where the insurance covered. I had, I had no idea about recovery. I didn't know that treatment centers existed. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Um, but so that was an experience in itself. I was in there, I was in there for the first day and had my family on the phone saying, get me out of here. I don't belong here. I'm not saying that I don't want to do something. I just don't want to do it here. Sure. Sure. Um, but I had one guy there, and I don't even remember his name, but I can see his face still that came and sat me down in, in detox and said, you know, this is supposed to be hard, this is going to be hard, but if you can get through this week, it's going to change your life. And so I stayed through that, and not knowing what was on the other side, I thought that I was going to be coming home. Yeah. And uh, my sister and her husband had a connection with Mark somehow. And so by the time, the last day, when I was getting prepared to leave, they told me that I wasn't gonna be coming home, that we set up you know, some inpatient treatment somewhere else and you're gonna be going to Wasatch. And uh, as soon as I got released from Salt Lake Behavioral, I got picked up and I said let's just go home one night you know I don't need to go right now And Ashley said absolutely not we're going right now I think I got taco time on the way (laughs) that was about it and um, we came here and and checked me in and it it changed my life
0: well so but were were you trying to refuse to come here or were you just agreeing no okay if that's what you guys want I was open to it for sure so you were really open to it so you weren't fighting it no Uh, okay no that's, yeah, I didn't know that the, the back side of that. I didn't know if you came in here willingly or if you were fighting it. And you're having
1: lots of crazy thoughts at that time. Sure. Like, you're thinking like, well, I guess I don't have to go to work for the next month. That would be nice. You know, yeah. well, I, I can go do <laughs> right. this. You know, Yeah. Uh, and anyway, when it started, we were talking about Suboxone, and Wasatch didn't admit people on Suboxone at that time. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, back in 2014, mm-hmm. I, was, I was the guinea pig of Suboxone at, at Wasatch. So when I told the people here that I had been on Suboxone for years, for multiple years, for almost five years, they were shocked. And then they saw, heard the dose I was taking, they were shocked. And, yeah. and so that was going to be part of our really hard work, was dealing with the Suboxone. Yeah, and then we here. commenced
0: on beating the crap out of you. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so I got leave of absence from my job. I, I carry mail. Um, in Sandy. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a mailman and yeah. they were really supportive. I had a union steward. At the time I was carrying mail in Bountiful and I had a union steward there that is a great friend of mine, one of my best friends in the world. His name's Nate that um, set everything up through work and they supported me through it and gave me a leave of absence
0: wow, What a blessing um, huh?
1: to come to Wasatch. And it wasn't a huge amount of time. So they were told 30 days, Mike will be back. So I knew when I got here that we had a lot of work to do in a shorter period of time. So when my 30th day came, I said, okay, I have to go. And Dave and Jed and Gary and Julie said, I don't think so, I don't think it's time, you know, so we ended up extending my leave of absence at work and I was here for 45 days. Okay. So.
0: Yeah, and and I remember, I mean, you did work hard when you were here. I mean, you were resistant in the beginning, which most people are. Yeah. For sure, but we hit you hard and, you were kind of a laid back client, if that's right. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. were just kind of laid back. You didn't get too heated or hot or upset. You just kind of went with the flow, but uh, but the overall 45 days, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you lived it. But uh, oh, yeah. and me I, from seeing it from a distance and then also being one of your counselors at the time, you worked it hard. Yeah, yeah.
1: and I, did, I continued to after I left. I, for sure. I did IOP with Gary for months and months and months. It, at the time it was like a, a six-week program I think yeah and I did it for five months yeah you know I, they couldn't get rid of me so and <laughs> until I got a job with Wasatch and that's when it was either one or the other so yeah you know Gary told me if you're going to work for Wasatch you're not going to be coming here anymore so, yeah
0: yeah which and then so you chose to work so right. I chose to
1: work with Wasatch I, uh-huh. I was still working full-time for the post office and was I did some graves here and there, and then I was doing a couple nights a week doing line staff stuff. And yeah. So,
0: and now what do you, you kind of run the softball league now, you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah,
1: I do run the, I, I'm passionate about softball because when, i play played softball all my life and I, and I love softball, but when I got here in the springtime, they, when I heard that there was a softball team, it was so exciting to me. You were I, like, yes. Yeah, it was and it was awesome back then. We had one team back then, and it was a mix of staff and and residents, and we had a huge roster, and it was so awesome. But <laughs> so that was in a, another league um, in Sandy, which is a sober league, which is you know everyone has to have a certain right. amount of sobriety in order to play, and and so we played in that league for a long time, and we grew, and we ended up having four or five different teams. We had a residential team and an IOP team and staff and and. I I loved it and I, I even got elected to the board of directors on in that league um, but last year last summer um, Salt Lake County in that league had some issues with fields and stuff and so they had to downsize and so there was a lot of displaced teams uh, most of them being treatment centers because those are the lower div- divisions you know they were the straight up residential teams and so I talked with Kirk and Mark and and Jeff and we came up with a plan to start uh, our our own softball league. We run a mm-hmm. nonprofit, the Wasatch Recovery Foundation's nonprofit. We got our own insurance and our own umpires and all that stuff. And now we we run a 18 team league on five fields and and have most treatment centers that you can think of have a team. Yeah. Um, and it's a fantastic place to be. You know, to work your recovery on Friday nights.
0: For sure. Yeah. And you know, those that know you, including myself, I mean, I know you're passionate about sports, softball. I mean, I think our league, the softball sober league that we do, that we're involved with, has a lot to do with you and how it's grown. And, um, I, I think it's remarkable. And most residents who come through here love it. Yeah. You know, they love that connection to be out with people, people they've been in treatment with, and now they're all, you know, hopefully all doing well. Most of them are, it seems like. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know... You deserve a lot of credit for how, where it is today. I mean, it's huge now. Yeah, it is huge now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, To jump back a little bit, you mentioned something when you kind of had that intervention that you put, you kind of did that yourself, you brought Mm -hmm. it on. But when your sister flew, was it, you had a sister from California that Mm -hmm. flew in just for it? Yeah, Jenny. How did that feel? Knowing that she was willing to drop everything and fly out here just to be a part of that, that intervention.
1: It, it feels good, and that's the way my family is. I mean, we're really, really close. Um, me and my sisters, even though. I mean, maybe it is because we we went through that experience losing my mom as, as, when we were so young that it's just bonded us super tight. But we, other families look at us and on Instagram and and you know, we we travel together, we're together all the time, we were talking yesterday that we want to all sell our houses and build a compound and <laughs> live together in the same cul-de-sac, and that's Remember. real, we, I mean, we really want to do really? something like that, but, you know, to have her fly here, you know, I, I get emotional about it because, and that's why a lot of times when they want to come listen to me speak or share or stuff, I always tell them no, because I've never, I don't like getting emotional in front of everyone, but, you know, mm-hmm. my family's really close, and and yeah. it feels good.
0: Well, I remember when you were going through Wasatch, your sisters were a huge part of your support. They were always checking in on you, always showing up for things during the time you were here. And Yeah. I mean, what a blessing that had to have been. Yeah. Their husbands,
1: know. too. Their husbands would drop by, yeah. you know, just, it would be a Sunday afternoon, I'd be walking out of the barn or something here at Wasatch, and i'd run right into someone from my family and i'm like you guys can't just drop
0: in and they're like well we called mark we called mark and he, said it was, <laughs> right. he said it was okay yeah so. well what a blessing because you know a lot of people as you know come through here they don't have that support right it's just not there and for you to have that it's pretty cool yeah,
1: <clears throat> yeah. i mean that's the reason why I'm i'm doing so well i i know that we talk about in recovery that relapse is part of the story and and things like that. I've never relapsed since day one, since I walked on it. I don't
0: believe that or buy that for a second.
1: Yeah, I've I've been been since day day one. I mean, I I wouldn't say I've been rock solid. I definitely struggle and have times, but I think it out and I think through it. And, you know, when I do have those moments for, you know, I have the tools that I can you know get past it and move on
0: yeah you know I believe that um, you know I say this to the residents all the time and my clients that you know you can be perfect at never using again but it doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect Right. you know you like you just said you're gonna have rough days you're gonna have some times where you're really close to maybe relapsing and this and that but at the end of the day you can be perfect in that all the while you're still going through some really difficult times yeah of. so how how did you get through those difficult times uh, my, what, what well, did you my do? support
1: system with my family too, but really, and I know that it isn't fair to say this because not everyone has the opportunities that I had. But yeah. Wasatch really grabbed a hold of me when I was here, you know, and yeah. and even when I left, um, mm-hmm. people that didn't have to grabbed a hold of me. Kurt grabbed a hold of me, you know, once it was okay to do so. But once I once I got employed here, yeah. um, right, kind of the restrictions of staff, client, right. you know, friendships. Once I was staff, those who were off the table, and Kirk, you know, he's one of my best friends today in the world, yeah, he you guys really are tight. grabbed a hold of me right when I was, you know, six months clean, and he just didn't let go, you know, yeah. and, and Mark and Jeff, too, and you and everyone, and, uh-huh. you know, we are just super close and super tight that it made it e- easier for me. For sure. Know? Because I don't want to let those people down. Um, James, too, you know, mm-hmm. like
0: those guys just
1: became yeah. my family, so... Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was kind of almost like your second family. Yeah. Yeah, and how important it is to have that support, which is really cool. Yeah, it's
1: been four years. I mean, and I still am here on the regular basis. So yeah, you know. yeah,
0: you're here all the time. And <laughs> <laughs> I so. love it. No, we love having you around. You're a good influence. You know, going back, thinking back on your life a little bit, if, if you could go back to your junior high self, or maybe even right as you started junior high, if you could give yourself any advice... What would you what some of what's some of the advice maybe you'd give yourself I know an answer you get a lot is that you wouldn't people
1: wouldn't change anything and I feel like me using and and all that stuff and hard times and and even losing my mom and all that stuff has made me who I am so I wouldn't change a whole lot but if I had to give myself advice um at a younger age it would be for sure not hurt the people that i hurt along the way because i i mean i i had some damage along the way and i really hurt some people and that's Mm -hmm. things that i you know i had to deal with and still deal with and and feel bad for so you know the the using i wouldn't tell myself don't use don't you know because it made me who i am It made you know yeah and without seeing the people get hurt but really hurting people you know i did some bad things when i was when i was using so
0: yeah yeah which is again when people who know you now they'd be like <laughs> he did bad things cuz you're just like seriously the nicest genuine guy that I've ever met honestly you're like just awesome in that realm but I, obviously when you're using and drinking we all do things that we would no never normally do yeah and unfortunately we hurt people along the way when we do those kind of things so yeah for me I love that advice though for me my
1: recovery is really about other, what helps me is really about other people, you know, and, mm-hmm. and being happy. Gary taught me, you know, through IOP that being happy is the true secret of all this. And I believe that a bunch of stuff, like houses and cars and stuff, isn't what's gonna make you happy. Um, I think that being a good neighbor and being a good friend and a good spouse mm-hmm. and stuff is what's truly gonna make you happy in life. And that's yeah. what will keep you going. So yeah, really, I, I'm honestly thinking about other people. A, you know, above myself a lot of times. You
0: know, I love that. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think you know Wasatch really isn't a, a treatment center for drugs and alcohol. It's more of finding that joy and happiness again in your life. Oh, for sure.
1: That's what I tell. I mean, clients when I talk to them now yeah. is, you know, the the stopping using and drinking is was, you know, that's over and done with. That was the easy part. That's now, easy yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's everything else.
0: Yeah. It's being that good person and giving it away. Yeah. I really believe people survive tough times, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's, um, trauma of any sort. We, when we survive it, we survive it for a reason. And I think the reason is, is to give back and help other people along the way. And you, you do a really good job of that. Thank you know, you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I want to just talk a little bit about you know because obviously I call this a belief cast because I'm really passionate about beliefs because I mean to me you know our beliefs dictate the way we behave and the way we carry ourselves throughout throughout our lives and when you were younger what were some of the beliefs or maybe just one even that you struggled with that kind of kept you you know held you back a little bit Um, when I was younger I
1: I when I was really young I believed that you know that I didn't look right, that I was tall and lanky. I mean, I had a nickname in high school that was Lerp. That's what everyone called me. Oh, it. really? So teachers included, you know? Really? Like, and so I embraced that, but deep down inside, you it know... probably you know, hurt. Like, yeah, it hurt. And, you know, so I run into people now even that are like, Lerp. And I'm like... Really? Does yeah, it so. still
0: sting a little bit even
1: now? Yeah, I mean... When you kind of hear it a little and bit? And I learned to, you know, that it was a term of endearment, I guess, from them or whatever. But... But at the time But at it was the painful. time I was yeah, it was painful. And I always thought that, you know, I didn't know about if I was ever gonna get married. And then as I got older my belief system was like, Well, I'm not gonna live past fifty or sixty really? anyway, you know, like Really? Yeah. I really did believe that I wasn't gonna live a full life, um, because of the stuff the how hard I was living, you know. But Wow. But that's completely turned around now. Yeah.
0: So, so what were some of the beliefs you have now? that uh, kind of empower you that you would maybe want to share with our listeners that uh, not only empower you but maybe they can you know pick up too as well and and start working on themselves yeah
1: um I believe that within reason I mean there's nothing that I really can't do when it comes to my career and and taking on new tasks and stuff like that I'm self-aware I know that I'm never gonna you know play shortstop for the Yankees and I'm not gonna (laughs) I'm not gonna do things like that but you know, we're always taught that you can do anything in life, and I'm self-aware. I know where where I'm, I fall in the world, and but I'm really doing big things now in in my career, and and it feels good to know that hey, I can anything
0: you need me to do, I can do it. You yeah, know? I love that. So. That's powerful. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a family where you know, can't was a four-letter word. You know, I'd get in trouble if I ever said it, kind of right. thing. And so I couldn't agree more with you, and I'm grateful I learned that lesson myself. Um, So, you know, maybe touch on this and then we'll wrap it up here in just a second, but I want to, I want them, I mean, I know you, you're, you know, AA was a big part of your recovery, um, and it still is. Right. So talk a little bit about that and just kind of, you know, the blessings you see from that in your recovery.
1: So it is a big part of my recovery. And I, I, when I do share in meetings and stuff with the newcomers and I tell them how important it is, but. Alcoholics Anonymous, for me, isn't a bunch of meetings. I don't go to a lot of meetings, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's more about the steps that I find so valuable. Okay. You know, because uh, me working the steps and seeing other people go through the steps, I think that, you know, you know, making amends and and writing down all the things, people that you've hurt and all that stuff, I think it's so valuable. And then, you know, the, the latter steps are identifying when you do screw up because we you know, we're not perfect and we do screw right. up all the time, but to be able to identify that immediately and fix it right away right. is, is huge. And then the biggest part I think for me is I mean, is service
0: service. Right. Well, I love that because that's just you dude. Um, I had a friend tell me once uh, a long time ago that, you know, if you master the first 11 steps of AA, you're going to drink again. If you master step 12, you'll no, never yeah. touch another drop. Yeah. Step 12 is, you know, give back, help another addict, help another person, period. And that seems to be kind of how you live your life. Like right. you even said, you just love giving back. You love helping others. And yeah. You and you embody I, that.
1: And I love the 12 step promises because they're so, so true. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to listen to that, I know, I know in all the meetings that everyone goes to, they hear the 12 step promises and they kind of, they, they say them in every meeting. So you kind of tune them out at some point, but, they're so true that, you know, talking about things that used to baffle you will no longer, you know. Yeah. And it's so true. And yeah. and your life just improves so much by following these steps. You know, that's just something that helped me, yeah you know,
0: in my recovery. Awesome. I love that. Um, anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we give them a challenge? Uh, no, I think that's it. I I usually don't prepare much. I just kind of whatever <laughs> comes out, comes no, out. No, that's great. no it's awesome I mean this has been wonderful I just want to make sure we're not leaving anything out Um, so I asked you to you know maybe come up with a challenge to give our listeners something that you've done that's really you know benefited you that maybe you can share with them and give them a challenge to give this a try to help them you know improve their lives
1: no well aside from being honest that's my number one usually whenever I speak is honesty in every aspect of your life is uh, is amazing Mm-hmm. Um, people look at you different when you tell the truth when <laughs> when they're expecting you to lie and you tell the truth the total opposite which is the honest answer um, they respect you and they and you build a reputation for being someone that mm-hmm. isn't gonna try and manipulate or which is awesome in, in every aspect of your life and then but for a challenge I I tell people too and I like this in my own life too is to get uncomfortable um, really uncomfortable. Like anything that you come comes up in your life, whether it's a speaking thing or just sharing at a meeting or something in your job, uh, if it make if you're questioning it, and it's making you nervous. Um, do it, and then I promise, by the time that you're done, you're gonna be glad that you did it, um, and it's gonna help you grow, and you're gonna, you know, it's gonna. It's going to build you into a, a better person for sure.
0: I love that. Get uncomfortable. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Um, and really, that's kind of what we do here at Wasatch is you're very uncomfortable the whole time, hopefully. Yeah. Because when you're uncomfortable, that's when you grow. Yeah. That's when you really have to dig deep and move forward. And um, I love that challenge. So listeners, take that to heart. Anything that you might be struggling with, just dig deep and just go through it. You know mike's living proof that uh, you can overcome some you know you know huge trials in your life and, and survive and make it out the other side you know yeah. and then do good things in life and it's fair to say you seem very happy i am happy i'm happier than i've ever been in my life for sure yeah, yeah. well i want to thank you for uh, being on the podcast today um and, and sharing your story i'm grateful that i do know you i'm grateful that I can actually consider you a friend now versus I'm just your counselor, <laughs> Right. Yeah. you know, um, and I do look up to you um, in many ways, and uh, just blessed to to have you on today. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So okay. if people want to reach out to you, want to get to know you better, or have a question for you. How would they do that? Uh, I'm a really easy guy to track down because
1: anybody around Wasatch has my phone number, but my email is MikeHanson0427 at yahoo.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, so anybody can send me messages. I get a ton of calls and a ton of messages all the time just through um, the softball network because there's sure. people that love, they know I'm from Wasatch and they love what Wasatch does. So I, ha- I have people all the time and I answer my phone whenever you know
0: it rings. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, well yeah, reach out to Mike if you have any other questions for him. Like I always say, share this with anyone and everyone, your family, your friends. And especially those that might need a little uplift who might be struggling with not just drug addiction, but just any struggle in life, period. Um, The principles are the same. I love what Mike has said today. I'm inspired. And uh, thank you for uh, tuning in and listening. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. You're awesome. Thanks. Thanks.